Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duckstream. I'm your host, Alexis Downey. I'm excited to have you listening in today. It's been a great week so far here in Anaheim for myself, and I think so around the NHL as well. So off the top today, let's take a look at a few key pieces of news from this week in the league. Now, Nathan McKinnon, he got paid. The recent Stanley Cup champion signed an eight-year, $100.8 million extension on Tuesday, September 20th with the Colorado Avalanche. That's an average annual value of $12.6 million. He will now be the highest paid player in the league starting next season and the wealthiest player in the salary cap era. He is so deserving of this. If you watched him on the ice, he's just so much fun to watch. An incredibly talented player. He netted 24 points in 20 games during the Avs Stanley Cup run last season. And it's just so deserving. We were not surprised to see this come out. Just a really high number, but very deserving, like I said. Now, the blue line will be looking a little different in the NHL now as three players announced their retirement this week all on the same day. Zdeno Chara, Keith Yandel, and P.K. Subban all announced the retirements on Tuesday, September 20th, same day as Nathan McKinnon's contract. A lot of news on Tuesday. All of them making their mark in unique ways, though. Chara served as the captain for the 2011 Stanley Cup champion Boston Bruins and has also won a Norris Trophy back in 2009 during his playing days. If you watched him, you know he's a big presence on the ice. Boston fans loved him. If you played against him, you probably didn't like him so much. The kind of guy that you want on your team, though. Now, Keith Yando holds the league record for the most consecutive games played at 989 consecutive regular season games. Crazy to think about that number. That is so many games. And finally, P.K. Subban was also a previous Norris Trophy winner, spending time with the Montreal Canadiens, Nashville Predators, and New Jersey Devils in his latest stint throughout his career. Now, in this next segment, I went to the source of the one that's breaking some of the news in the hockey world this week. Elliot Friedman joined me to give an insider's perspective on his summer attending the media tour, plus his thoughts on the Ducks offseason moves. Take a listen. Now I'm excited to bring in Hockey Night in Canada's Elliot Friedman right here on Light the Lamp. Elliot, it's great to have you for the first time on Duckstream. I know Ducks fans and hockey fans might be used to seeing your tweets if they're on social media, but now they can put a voice to those tweets thanks to this platform. Well, first of all, it's my pleasure. I think it's really interesting what you guys are doing. And I have no doubt, Alexis, that what you're doing, a lot of teams are going to be looking at and saying, okay, what? Because as you know, good ideas are never created. They're all stolen. <laughs> so whatever you guys do here that's that's good, I have no doubt other teams in the league are going to steal it. So I'm curious to see where everyone else goes to from here. The Ducks are certainly being a bit of a leader and a trailblazer in trying something like this. Yeah, we're really excited to be able to launch this and be at the forefront of it and really get into the hockey season. Uh, and I know that you're currently in Vegas right now for the NHL media mm -hmm. tour. I mean, is there a better place to have this event? No, I, I have to tell you, I love Vegas. Like, I don't know if you're a Vegas person, Alexis, but I, I love it. They've had it in Chicago before, and Chicago was 
uh, a, a really good place. Um, you know, I got engaged in Chicago. Good day for me, bad day for my wife. <laughs> but I, so I like Chicago a lot. They've had it in New York before. Um, and, you know, who doesn't like New York City? But Vegas, there's, there's something about this. You know, last night I just went out and walked the strip uh, up and down. And uh, there's just something about this city. It's so alive. It's so incredible. Like, if you can't have a good time in Vegas, there's seriously something wrong with you. So I was really happy to be here. I should tell you, I actually moved from Chicago here to SoCal to join the mm -hmm. Ducks. So I spent a couple years in Chicago, love that city, but got to go to Vegas mm -hmm. for the first time this year. And I completely agree. It's such a cool place. And I feel like you just see so many interesting things like every moment of the day. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I, where did you stay when you were here? What, uh, what hotel did you stay at? I was at the MGM Grand. That's actually where we're staying now. Like we're staying at the, now. And, you know, for example, I'm taking the red eye home tonight, uh, which is not one of the smarter things I've ever done. <laughs> but the, the MGM Grand, it has the uh, it ha right now it's the host of the big fight on the weekend. Uh, uh, Alvarez GGG number three. And they've got a big ring set up there and they've got a mock copy of one of the boxing championship belts in there right now. And you, you just feel you feel the energy like my wife and I, before we had our son, who's now 10, we used to come to, to Vegas every year. And, you know, we stayed at we stayed at the Venetian, we stayed at the Mirage, we stayed at the Bellagio, we stayed at the Wynn. Um, you know, we haven't, I've stayed at the Cosmo. She hasn't stayed there yet. You could come and stay at a different hotel every time. And, like, if there's any Ducks fans out there who have not gotten to Vegas, you've got to go see the Ducks on the road in Vegas. And it's so funny, Alexis, when I think about it now, when when they were when they were talking about a team here, I think there were a lot of us who really weren't sure if it was going to work. I'm not even convinced the NHL was sure really? that it was going to work. Yeah. And, uh, and they hit it out of the park. Like it, it is literally a 500 foot grand slam home run. And now you look, the NFL's here and there's rumors. The NBA is coming. It's a, uh, it's a fantastic place to come watch sporting events and, or like last night, just lose some money at the tables. <laughs> and speaking of that too, I know you went to an Aerosmith concert. So I got to ask, like, yes. what, what kind of music do you listen to? Like if you're in the car, you're going to a rink, like what's your go-to? Well, I'm a, I'm an old man. I, I will, <laughs> I'm about to turn uh, 52 years old. So I like a lot of eighties retro. Like I was okay. born in 1970. So the eighties were my, you know, youth and teenage years. I, I associate a lot of music from there. Uh, with uh, anytime I hear a song, it reminds me of a certain point of uh, my life where I was younger, skinnier and had more hair. <laughs> so I, I think about that a lot, you know, but I'm not discriminating. Like I, I really like a lot of different music tastes. Um, I'm a person who sometimes likes the retro. There'll be other stuff. Other times I like stuff uh, uh, much, uh, much more recent. Um, you know, I like rap. I like R and B. I like heavy metal. I like pop. I like, I like acoustic stuff. Uh, I have a real weakness for cover songs. I don't know why oh, my okay. wife thinks it's stupid, but I love covers <laughs> and, uh, uh, like I can listen to anything. I, I really can. Well, I hope that Aerosmith concert was good for you because I'm sure it was a great way to kick it off was. your time in Vegas too. Uh, you know, so getting to chat with a lot of the guys that are there, I know you have had a packed schedule. What are you hearing from them in terms of the excitement around this season? 
and just kind of the buzz leading into it? Well, you know, I think one of the interesting things about it, Alexis, is, uh, you know, last year the tour was kind of split between Canada and the States. And, uh, you know, the Canadian players went to Toronto and the American players, I can't, I think it was Chicago last year. I can't even remember because I, I couldn't go. And, um, you know, everybody here is in a really good mood. That, that's the one thing I've really noticed. It reminds me a lot when I used to do a lot of baseball, the, the best thing to cover in baseball was spring training. Cause we always used to joke as media members, the players were fresh and they were happy and they didn't hate us yet. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I really, there's a real spring training feel to this right now. You know, the players are in great moods. Um, you know, they, they're, a lot of them have either been in their NHL cities for, you know, a, a few days or maybe in some cases, even one day before they came here. But, you know, I have to say that yesterday, a bunch of the interviews we taped, they were, I felt they were some of the best interviews we've done at this event. Like people are just in a really good mood. And I think one of the, one of the things is, is that the schedule this year, it looks like it's going to be back on the normal timeline. And so I think everybody just likes that return to normal. Um, everybody just likes that everything seems to be back and everybody's in a great mood. I mean, the reporters are in good moods. Like, I think the one thing I really missed is, you know, I didn't really get a chance to talk to a lot of people last year. So much of my job yeah. is just FaceTime and talking to people like, you know, Alexis, you know, you know, when, when you're around the ducks every day, they all get to know you. They, they all know who you are. They know what you're about. Um, they know how you interact with them. Um, you know, for, for me, like I, I'm an older guy now, like this league, it's a young league you have to get out and you have to talk to people. And in the last couple of years, that's really been gone. And so it's, it's great to just sit face to face with people and talk to them again. Certainly. Uh, it's, it's something that I, I missed and I'm excited to get into that this season some more too. Um, and then I know that you were also at the European players media tour. You and Jeff mm -hmm. Merrick were there on site in Paris for a few days for your podcast, 32 Thoughts, uh, how was Paris? And what is the difference there between like the European tour and the American tour? Is, is there much of a difference or how, what's the player view of that? Well, Alexis, have you ever been to Europe? Have uh, you ever been to Paris before? I haven't actually. Never been to Europe in general. Okay. So it's on my list. Well, you got to fix that. You, you <laughs> I, I do. Fix that. Maybe you next know, off season. I, I, I give a lot of terrible advice, but that's actually good advice. Like you have to fix that okay. and, and go to Europe. Um, that's the, I, I've been to a lot of Europe before. Um, uh, uh, I, but I'd never been to Paris and, um, you know, my wife and I have talked about going with our son. So it was kind of like we were, I was joking with her, like, I'm not going to cheat on her in Paris in the sense that I'm not going to the Eiffel Tower. I'm going to go look at it, but I'm not going on it because the first time I go on it, I want to go on it with my family. Uh, I didn't go. I didn't go into the Louvre. I, I looked at it, but I, I, I went and I wasn't going to go in it because my wife loves museums. When we went to Italy, she did a whole bunch of museums and I, like she said, you know, you know, she said, you can go in if you want. I'm like, no, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it together. And so, but I, you know, I did the Arc de Triomphe and I just walked around him. I'm not a big architecture guy, but it's impossible not to be struck by the architecture of a great city like Paris. And I took a ton of pictures. I walked around for a day and then, you know, the players, they were so relaxed. I think 
I think the European guys, like sometimes you just forget that, um, you know, like a lot of players that come to North America, they, it takes them a little bit of time to get comfortable. English is not their first language. And, and I think over there, they're a little bit more comfortable. They're co sort of in their own, um, not even though a lot of them aren't from Paris, they're kind of in an area of the world where they're a bit more comfortable. I think it was similar. I, I think it was um, very relaxed. I hope they keep doing it because it gives us more of an opportunity to talk to people. You know, I, I, I felt bad for the former doc, Hampus Lindholm. We taped an interview with him there, and then after the interview was over, he goes, like, my my summer house caught on fire the other day. Oh, my gosh. It's just going to come out in the news. So luckily he was okay and nobody was hurt, but, like, I was, I was like, oh, boy, like, that's that's a rough way to start your year but you know like i said thankfully everything was uh was okay yeah definitely do you think that having the tour in europe for those players also helps the game in general to continue to grow um in in the european countries absolutely i think it does it's 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 never it's never a bad thing to have boots on the ground in a place where you're um, you know, I, they used to have one. They had they used to have one in Sweden a few years ago. Obviously, that hasn't happened the last couple of years because of COVID. And we're you know we were joking with them. You know, next year maybe like Amalfi Coast might be a really good idea. <laughs> and they're rolling their eyes at us. So, but I, I do think it's a good idea. And you know, the other thing too is is that I've been told I, I've never been at one of the European games. But one of the things I get told about those European games is that. Uh, the players from those countries where the games are being played, the, when they walk around, they are absolutely mobbed. Wow. Um, you know, like Daniel Alfredson in Sweden, they told me when Ottawa played there, it was like he was, they, the fans were all over him. You know, the Swiss players, when they play in Switzerland, they say that those guys uh, will have trouble going out in public. Um, it's really a sight to see. A few years ago when I did baseball, I, I covered a game in Puerto Rico uh, when the Blue Jays and the Rangers played there and Carlos Delgado was from Puerto Rico. The amount of people all around him, it was it was incredible. Well, that, it's really interesting that the difference in how athletes out in, you know, other countries are treated and, you know, recognized more often than sometimes, you know, hockey players mm -hmm. here in the U.S. Uh, but, I mean, you're, you've been on the road a lot and – Working as an insider, I want to know about your day-to-day. -day. I mean, was this something that you saw yourself getting into as you started in your career too? And I know it seems like there's probably no off days for you and you're always busy even during these summer months too. Well, I, I think, Alexis, like, I, I think this, the simplest, shortest answer to your question is I never saw myself doing this. Like there's there's a story I tell to a lot of young people um, when uh, they're starting out in the business, and uh, I always wanted to be a sports writer. Um, you know, like I said, I was born in 1970. Um, you know, Sports Illustrated back at the time it was such a huge magazine. It was like the Bible of sports, and I subscribed. And all I ever wanted to do was get a story written in Sports Illustrated. And I know now, like a lot of young people don't understand that, which is okay. The world has changed, but that was a big deal back then. I just wanted to be a sports writer. And, um, you know, I, I finished school. I always am careful to say I don't have my university degree. I don't want anybody accusing me of fraud. So I finished my, I finished my schooling in, uh, 1993 and, um, I couldn't get a job. Like I, I couldn't get a job in print. 
Uh, the economy was bad. There were no openings. I had I kept all my rejection letters for years. I, I lost them in a flood, unfortunately. But every time I thought my head was getting too big, I, I think I had 22 rejection letters. And I would always look at them and I thought my head was getting too big. And I would say, you know, this is where you came from. This is where you were a few mm-hmm. years ago. Don't ever forget it. And, you know, I remember my first ever uh, TV interview. Uh, I was told I, I wasn't good looking enough to be on TV. Now I now I know looking at me right now in this picture, it is impossible to believe that anybody would actually say that to me. But that that is true. That is what. Where's I was the beard? Said. Where's the beard? Where, my uh, Alexis, my wife hates the beard. She thinks it's she's the, uh, the story that nobody knows is that when I wore the beard, one of the things we had to agree on was how the beard was coming off. Like they wouldn't oh. say. They said you can't you can't wear that on TV until we know. Because we raised money. We raised about mm-hmm. 20000 for a charity. So until that plan was there, they weren't letting me wear it. But, um, you know, I, and, uh, you know, I, I just said, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to become good enough at my job that somebody's going to put me on television. And that's kind of what happened. Um, you know, I, I, I worked really hard. I was always a good reporter. Um, I was pretty good at asking questions. And I just kept on, you know, moving up and moving up and moving up. I started in radio. And uh, then I moved to TV when a new station called The Score was opening. And it was in 2003 when Hockey Night in Canada was looking for a new reporter. And, you know, I was never a person who liked to apply for jobs, Alexis. I don't know if that's the smartest strategy, but I always felt that, you know, someone was really interested in me. They would, um, you know, they would find me. And that's kind of what Hockey Night in Canada did. They called me and said, you haven't applied and I said, no. And they said, we're not offering you the job, but we'd like you to apply. And uh, that's kind of what happened. Uh, I, I applied and I had two interviews and I got the job. And and usually I started as a sideline reporter and this kind of evolved. And, um, you know, it is it is time consuming. I, I'm on my phone way too much. Um, but if you if you want to do a job right, you know, this is I knew the rules going in. I knew that if you want to become an insider and to be honest, I kind of hate the term. Um, you know, you have to be committed. And, um, you know, I, during the season, it's 24 seven, like something I'm, I'm in Vegas today as you, uh, on Pacific time, as you know, and my phone was beeping at, you know, uh, four in the morning, Vegas time. Like some people were sending notes, like what's going on? What are you hearing about this? And, um, you know, sometimes I, I think it annoys my family and I understand. <laughs> I was going to uh, ask. Eight, yeah. I'll, <laughs> we can talk about that in a second, but. Um, you know, I get eight weeks vacation in the summer and I try to take it like, you know, during the summer, I like the work knows like, you know, unless it's really big, leave me alone a bit. And like the day Nazem Qadri signed, we were, we rented a cottage that week and, and uh, Nazem Qadri signed, and, you know, people are calling me like, this is a big one. And my wife's just looking at me and, and I, I just got to say like, she's an incredible woman. She's like, I know you got to do it, but I don't like it. So but it's just kind of, I knew the rules going in, Alexis. I, I, if you want to be great at what you do, you have to understand the rules going in. You have to be willing to, to put up with them. Do you have any rules at home, like at the dinner table? No phones at the table? How how, how do you work through that? It's a great question. Um, so Julian Brisebois, who's the GM of the Tampa Bay Lightning, told me that they have a rule that one hour every night at dinner, I think it's 530 to 630, the phones are off. And if anybody really needs them, that they know where to call them at home. I have tried that. I have not been successful at it, but I would <laughs> like to find a way to do better at it. I, 
put it that way. Well, certainly there are also a couple other, you know, insiders around the league. And I'm curious on, you know, your relationship with them, LeBron, Saravalli, all the other guys that are also breaking news. Yeah. I'm sure it's a bit competitive sometimes, but what is your relationship like with them? I think we all have good relationships personally, uh, but we are competitive. Like nobody, um, you know, it's, it, you know, I, I think it, I don't know if I would compare it exactly, but I'll, I'll use this. Um, like Pat Verbeek and Steve Eiserman are, are friends, but when the Red Wings and the Ducks play each other, they're going to want to kill each other. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's kind of the way I look at it. Um, I'm friendly with them. I, I think they're friendly with me. I don't like to talk <laughs> for other people. Um, but, uh, you know, we're competitive with each other. We want to beat each other's stories. Like, this is our game. You know, the Ducks game is at 7 o'clock. And, uh, you know, like, you know, every player wants to win. Our and a game is the right word for it, probably, because we're not, you know, we're, we're not operating on, we're not doing heart or open heart surgery here. Um, you know, I, our game is, is collecting information and, and getting news. And uh, we are competitive. We don't like to lose to each other. There's, there's no question about that. Well, I think that's something that translates well in sports just in general, because I certainly am still a competitive person as a former athlete growing up and now today still. But it's a good, you know, life skill to have, too. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it, it, it's so funny you say that, Alexis, because I, I really do believe that. I think, you know, I, I've always I've always tried to be a relatively nice person. I don't always succeed in that, <laughs> but I, I try to be in that. Like, I think you can be a really try to be a really decent person off the competitive field that you're in and then still try to win everything when you're coming down to your job. And, um, you know, I, I, I really think that that's, that's something you can do. And that's what I try to do. I try to treat people really well. Like, for example, like I was, I was 15 minutes late to start this interview with you today. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's so bad. Just had to send I, you a text to late. make sure you're still coming. Yeah. yeah, I know. I'm always late. It's so terrible. Kelly Rudy once like chewed me out in a, in a, in a, in a hotel in Italy because of how late I always am. But like, I try, like I try to treat people really well. But in the job, I, I try to do the best job I can. And part of that job is is uh, being ahead of your competitors. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. And, uh, you know, I'm not afraid to admit it bothers me sometimes when I like you're it's like I have a joke. Like sometimes you eat the bear and sometimes the bear eats you. <laughs> you're not going to eat the bear all the time. But, you know, it doesn't mean I like it when I don't. <laughs> well, speaking of all of those uh, off season moves. I mean, I know from the Ducks side, a lot of Ducks fans uh, have been keeping track of everything that we've been doing here. Um, what mm -hmm. have you thought about some of the acquisitions that the Ducks made in the off season? You know, Ryan Strom, Frank Vetrano, all all the different players that we've added here in Anaheim. Well, first of all, I think it's important. I think for the Ducks fans to know that I think they're in good hands. Um, I think Pat Verbeek is a is a very smart guy. Um, you know, Verbeek, I, I, I think you'll, Alexis, like I think you've seen in your time there, you know, he doesn't like talking to us a lot. <laughs> He'd prefer not to do it, but that doesn't mean that, you know, it, it's not, 
like doesn't mean it has nothing to do with what he thinks about the team or how he approaches things. Like, you know, Pat Rubik for a long time wanted to be a GM and the opportunities were never right. And Steve Eiserman, you know, he went to bat for him. And, you know, Eiserman is very careful on on who he does that for. And, um, you know, I think Pat Verbeek, he worked his way up. Um, you know, he, he, he paid his dues. He went to all the small dingy arenas. He, he took the trips. Like, this is not a person who took shortcuts to becoming a general manager in the NHL. And, you know, I, I think um, he is determined. He has a plan. And uh, I, I think he has an idea for how he wants things to go, and he'll stick to that. And I think the, the thing that is probably the best about him is that he won't be afraid to make hard decisions. Um, he believes in uh, who he is, and he believes in his ideas. And I just don't think he's going to have trouble making the tough decisions that you need to make to be successful. And I think he also knows players. Now, you know, just the, 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 the players you brought in, like Ryan, Ryan Strom and Frank Vetrano, like those guys are good pros. They're good players. And I think what the important thing is, is that you guys have great young players. Like Zegers is going to be a stud in this league, for example. But, you know, I remember 15 years ago talking to Mike Richards, who was then in Philadelphia, and he had a, they had a really bad year. And he talked about every night he was getting served up to Matt Sundin and Saku Koivu and, and um, Vincent LeCavalier and all the great centers in the Eastern Conference. And there are nights you're going to get your ass kicked. And it's tough on a young player. Now, Zegers is so incredibly confident. I don't know what is going to bother him. But there's going to be nights where he can have a Ryan Strom or, a, or, or, or even Vitrano's a winger. But he can take some of those matchups and say, okay, you know what, Trevor? We're giving you a bit of a lighter night tonight so you can grow a little bit. So maybe instead of doing that all the time, you know, Zegers can learn at a different pace. And I think that's so important. I think you need veteran players when things aren't going well. Like Strom is a great attitude. Like teammates love him. He's got a fantastic attitude. It's a long season. There's ups and downs. You need people who can just, in those tough moments, get you through the year and in a positive way. And I think guys like Strom do that. And they're talented. You know, both those guys can score. Both those guys can get points. And I think the other thing they can do is they can teach you the things you have to learn. Like I, I'm really excited about the Ducks' future. I think I understand what they're doing. I like their plan. You need guys who can get you, help get you from here to there. And those are guys like that. And they can score. Yeah, we're certainly excited here too. And I think that, like you mentioned, having that leadership to show the young guys really is going to be important moving into the future for the Ducks. Have Speaking of Trevor, did you get a chance to talk with Z while you've been there in Vegas? No, you know what? So we have two groups here. We have the social group and we have the 32 Thoughts interview group. And the social people wanted Z. He was like <laughs> their, their top draft pick. So uh, I did not speak to him here. Um, I did hear some good stories about him, though. He skated this summer with the Hughes brothers, um, uh, Quinn and, uh, and Jack, who are both here. Uh, and uh, they told stories about uh, golfing with him and playing tennis against him. They, they said that Trevor Zegers is a hell of a tennis player. 
Oh. As a matter of fact, they ripped they ripped him as a country club kid from the Northeast somewhere. <laughs> so they said he should be a good tennis player, but they said he was really good at uh, tennis. I'll tell you one one story about um, uh, about uh, uh, about Zegers that really impressed me though this year was I was at the awards in Tampa. Of course, Zegers was there too. He was up for the Calder Trophy, and uh, I was. Um, uh, I, I was giving a, uh, I was helping present the Calder Trophy with Jake Terrio, who was a young player who was injured in a hockey game this year, and he wanted to meet Zegras. And uh, you know, uh, one of the things that happened was Alex Gilchrist, who as you know works with the Ducks, he said, "Look, um, Trevor's going to want to know uh, Jake's full story, so give me all the information that you can about this young man." So I did, and Alex passed it on to uh, Trevor. And then I heard a bit of their conversation. I tried to step out of the way because I don't want to interrupt, but I heard a little bit of it. And, you know, uh, Trevor was asking questions about what, you know, Jake had been through. And I could tell Jake really appreciated that. So, um, you know, that says a lot to me about who a person is. And uh, I, I, thought, I thought that was a really... A uh, really good story about Trevor that Ducks fans should know. I, I think that you're in good hands. Like at the end of the day, you're going to have good nights and bad nights as a player. But if you, you know, treat people like that, I think generally you're in very good hands. I love that story about Z. Thank you for sharing that. And thanks for joining me today. You know, if you're in Anaheim this season, you're going to have to come into the Korea studio here and sign the glass. No problem. I will be glad to do that. I'll tell you this. I don't, I'm very happy that Paul Korea is around more. I have to say this. The only reason that I don't come more to Anaheim is I might have to see Kevin Vieksa and I see enough of him during the week. <laughs> All right, Elliot, enjoy the rest of your time in Vegas. We'll have to have you back here on light the lamp again sometime soon. Alexis, I'll do it anytime. Thank you very much for having me. All the best. Good luck with this. I, I think these kinds of things are important, and I, and I hope it's a huge success for you and the Ducks. Some great perspective from Elliot. Looking forward to having him back on the show. But now in this next segment, Ducks head coach Dallas Aikens joined me in studio as a part of the first episode of Behind the Bench. You can catch this show on Stream and if you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe to it on your favorite podcast site. Welcome into the very first Behind the Bench right here on Duckstream. I am your host, Alexis Downey, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, head coach Dallas Aikens. Dallas, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent, and uh, welcome aboard. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Super excited to be here. Uh, you know, summer is wrapping up. We're getting close to the season. How was your summer? Did you get to do anything fun? Yeah, well, we we moved homes. Uh, that's always an, an adventure uh, with, with a little bit of adversity, but we got through it. Uh, we've got two young daughters. Uh, one was going into her first year of uh, hi high school, um, so we stuck fairly close uh, for that transition. Kind of the only time that we ever got away uh, was my wife and I buzzed over to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We we hiked for three days. Uh, had two nights there and and got back to the girls real quick. So super productive summer. Uh, great to be with uh, my family because basically starting here in a couple of days, it's, uh, you know, it, it really gets spread out uh, on the amount of time you can spend with your family. 
I know that one of the things that you got to do this summer was head down to Nick Saban's camp. And I would love to hear more about your relationship with him and how that happened. Well, it's something I've been doing for quite a long time. Uh, I've been super, always been super curious about uh, coaching. I've been super curious about culture. Um, I'm not a big believer in, hey, this is the way we do it here and that's how we're going to do it forever. Um, I'm into innovation, new ideas. Uh, and, you know, we send our players out at the end of every year and we ask them to get better, whether it's strength-wise, mentally, speed, their skating skills. So we're, we're always asking this of, a, of our players and thinking more big picture, uh, I, I think coaches, uh, well, I think anybody, uh, it doesn't matter what you do in your life. I'm a big believer in, in getting better every day. And so I, I've done lots of really cool stuff like this. I've been in with the Dallas Cowboys. I've been in with the, uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I've been into Major League Baseball. I've been into NBA teams. Uh, I've been into European hockey teams. Um, I've been into business where, where uh, there, there's leadership and coaching not going there uh, in businesses. And so anyway, this uh, summer, uh, and the other thing is, I don't know anything about football. I was going to ask, I, do you I watch can, football? No, I like, uh, I, I don't watch football. I could probably name maybe three positions if they all lined up uh, uh, on the line. But it's not about the sport to me. It, it's about w what does the culture feel like? Uh, what does it look like? And what's the coaching look like? Uh, what does it feel like? And are they doing anything differently than that than we are um, that we might be able to adopt? The other part is is like what what can I leave behind? So anytime I've gone into one of these uh, places that have been so gracious to uh, to host me, um, I always leave with something, and I always think I I, I leave something behind uh, uh, as well. And and it's not just. Uh, you know, me and the head coach, you know, in, in football, man, they've got like 23, 25 assistant coaches. Mm -hmm. So interacting with them. So, you know, it was quite a process. Like uh, I, I started, obviously, you know, uh, Mr. Saban's probably going to go down as maybe the greatest uh, college coach ever. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, so I've always been quite curious about him. Um I, I started a process on my way to get to him. Um, I first reached out to his agent. Um, I got enlisted the, the help of a couple of hockey agents as, as well that helped push it along. And what's interesting is once I, I, I arrived and I got in there, I, I, I got asked by a couple of the assistant coaches, like, you know, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. And and so I explained, hey, I'm just curious. I'm here to watch coaching, interact with you guys, talk about coaching, talk about leadership, talk about culture. Um, but then the second question they were more curious about was, how did you get in here? <laughs> I'm uh, sure it's like a complex down there too. Yeah. Especially. And, and but I, I I think I got in there because I, I'm not a football coach. I, mm -hmm. I'm not in there looking to steal secrets. Uh, I'm not watch. They could run plays all day. I couldn't tell you what they were doing. Um, so because I'm a, a, a head coach in a, in another sport, I think it was really easy to open up uh, their doors to me. Coach Saban was extremely generous with his time. Um, had you met him before? No, I had never met him before. 
Um, but he, he was, like I said, generous with his time and just opened it all up. Like, uh, I could go into any meeting I wanted to, I was part of their, uh, their coaching meetings, which run twice a day. Uh, one super early in the morning, another one later in the afternoon. Uh, we, we talked about a lot about leadership. The, the one thing where we really connected on is, you know, I really believe probably our, our greatest asset in our life and in the same breath, our, our, our biggest detriment is the battle of discipline. Um, I think if you can have discipline in your life, you are going to have just one hell of a life. If you can't find it, you are going to struggle. And, and um, that's where uh, Coach Saban and I, I think, really connected. Uh, we're really on the same thought process there. So it was incredible to go and see a, a beast of a program, mm -hmm. uh, number one. Uh, Especially it, at that college level, too. Yeah, it's incredible. I was... Uh, I was brought back to memories of, of my youth, uh, being in Alabama. I didn't grow up in Alabama, but, uh, I, I did spend the first number of years in, in the South. Um, just the way of life there. Um, you know, grits in the morning. Uh, <laughs> did you that, get some they, while you were there? I did. <laughs> were they good? They were excellent. Um, and, but just the way of life and the, the accents and it just kind of, spun me back a few years. So it was, uh, it was an incredible trip. Um, uh, I guess, uh, from a coaching point of view, from mm -hmm. a culture point of view, uh, all, all of those things. Um, but it turned into just kind of like walking down memory lane of, you know, where I started, uh, and, and where I am now. And it's great because I've, I've made some friends there. We, we keep in touch. Obviously I'm keeping an eye on Alabama football and, and, and how they're doing. Um, but I'm extremely grateful that, uh, uh, that coach Saban and, and, uh, Alabama football were gracious enough to open up their doors to me. Maybe he'll have to come out to a game this season. <laughs> well, he may, uh, he's, uh, he's a curious guy himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you talked about that past in your life. And I, I want to get into that a little bit, talking about your childhood and how you got into hockey a little bit. But give me a look into, and anyone that's listening, into what that looked like for you guys. Well, I, I think if uh, I, I ran into anybody on the street, what they're going to hear is a Canadian accent. And they're just <laughs> going to think, hey, this guy grew up in Canada and he played hockey and uh, he... Uh, ended up coaching and that's kind of it. And it's, it's far different. I, I was actually born in a very rural part of a very rural town, uh, um, called Dade city, Florida. It's, uh, probably an hour or so outside of Tampa. Okay. Uh, uh, when I say rural, I mean, rural, I mean, dirt road, probably three quarters of a mile long. It dead ended at the, the one end. We lived in a trailer, uh, my mother and I that, uh, backed up to a swampy area. I spent most of my days, um, trying to stay away, away from water moccasins, which are just yeah. nasty Can't snakes. Imagine. I just still talking about them right now. It gives me uh, <laughs> goosebumps on my arms. My grandparents lived in a little shack, uh, next to the trailer. And my great grandmother, who I thought lived in a little shack too, until I visited it. Um, probably a dozen years ago or so, it, it 
looked more like a shed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so like that was kind of our our life. And my original last name is not Eakins. Uh, I never knew my birth father, um, but I was born Yoder, Y-O-D-E-R. My mom ended up starting to date a, a Canadian who was living in Dade City, Florida. Uh, he that, was in the trucking business. That had to be very random. I feel like all the way down in Florida to oh, move like, from Canada. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy that, yeah. that he was living there. Um, so they started dating. They ended up getting married. Um, and then my, my, my father decided, my mother obviously decided that uh, we were going to make the big move to um, just outside where he was from. He was from Lindsay, Ontario in Canada. Uh, the next kind of biggest city next to that is Peterborough, Ontario. Uh, and we moved there just kind of just before I was turning eight years old. And so that's when I showed up there, I had a Southern accent <laughs> and uh, now I have a Canadian one. And, and that's where I started the whole hockey process. Uh, mm-hmm. I was late to the party uh, at just turning eight. Um on the hockey front of it. I, mm-hmm. I, I started playing road hockey just to make a friend. I had to push the chair around the backyard and get uh, laughed at and, <laughs> and uh, made fun of by the kids over, over the fence because they thought it was pretty funny that an eight-year-old couldn't skate. A kid from Florida, though, going to Canada. I mean, I have a hard time believing that they would expect, you know, you to be able to play hockey coming from Florida to go to Canada. Yeah, kids don't care much about that's that. True. I don't that's true. That's true. But it's, so yeah, it's been an uh, an interesting go from extremely rural, extremely poor, uh, and just outside. Basically, hey, no shirt, shorts, no shoes, doing whatever whatever I wanted. Basically, up and down that dirt road to moving to Canada, becoming a uh, a rink rat. Uh, just absolutely loving hockey and, uh, you know, experiencing a a totally different life. And it's one of the things I really believe in life. Like, you know, you, you, you get into adversity or you're thinking about how your life is. And even though I was just a kid, then I wasn't thinking about how my life was. I was Mm -hmm. just being a kid, but looking back, you know, there was a lot of adversity going on there for my mother. It was just her and I for quite mm-hmm. a long time. Um, and, and then meeting somebody from another country and then making the move, there's a whole bunch of uh, adversity going on. And, but I'm a, I'm a big believer that, you know, life isn't happening to you. Uh, it's happening for you. Uh, the to you is it's just kind of setting you up for something better uh, down the road. And it's important to go through the adversity and um, learn from it. Uh, maybe callous your brain a little bit and uh, get ready for what that bigger plan is. Well, that bigger plan worked out very well for you. You spent a lot of years in the NHL, a lot of different teams too. I'm sure you have some great stories from some of the players that you've played alongside. Do you have any that you'd want to share? Well, you know, I don't know how much I played in the NHL. (laughs) I was there a lot. I was usually the guy that was scratched. I was a journeyman (laughs) player and it was one of these things I, I wasn't, quite skilled enough. Like I wasn't the the best skater or the most skilled guy. Um, I had to leave my mark by, you know, uh, my competitiveness, my hard work and and my fitness level. Um, I was also able to bring a little bit of toughness. So that 
in that era mm -hmm. did well for me. So um, I was able to play over a thousand pro games and that is NHL games would be the bottom of the number. Mm -hmm. I played a ton in the American Hockey League and some in the old International Hockey League, but I was able to get over a thousand games. I've played with so many players because I was always the kind of the easy guy to bring on, bring in and also the easy guy to move along. <laughs> so uh, I played on so many different teams. Um, there's a million stories uh, <laughs> uh, about um, a whole lot of different players. I'll, I'll tell you really two quick ones that will resonate because they're, they're big names. I didn't play with either of these guys for a very long time. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one uh, is the, the game's greatest player ever is, is Wayne Gretzky. And okay. I, I was in St. Louis. I was playing for the Blues. And um, we made a trade for Wayne Gretzky. And so Gretzky came into uh, uh, St. Louis. And when we, uh, it was his first time in, into St. Louis. And I was one of these guys that I was literally just trying to stay one more day. So I'd be the first one to the rink. I'd be mm -hmm. in the weight room. I'd stay late. And usually my routine was, you know, kind of when I was done working out and all that stuff for the day, I'd come down and, uh, you know, everybody was gone. And so I was going into the shower and I was walking in and that had been Gretzky's first day in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And I was walking in the shower and I walked in and I saw it was, it was Gretz. And I literally stopped and I'm like, oh my God, it's Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> and I'm, but then in my head, I was like, okay, I've got to, that's my teammate. Right. Like just, you know, head on in. So I head on in and the, the, the most interesting thing, everything that I believe in about fitness level and strength and quickness and all of these things, I will never, ever forget looking at Gretz in that shower going, <laughs> is that seriously the body of the best player to ever play the game? Because he was anything but that. Really? He, he was just so smart and... um just an incredibly generous guy to me. And I, I know he'd have a giggle uh, if, he, <laughs> if he's heard that story. I've told it to him before. So it's not like I'm talking out of turn. So <laughs> it, it's amazing when you have this vision in your head of somebody and, mm -hmm. and how they play on the ice. And then you're literally there together. And it's like, man, I am big and I am strong and I am fit and I am fast but I am not even in the same area code as this guy. <laughs> and he is none of those things. So it, it's a, it's really, really interesting. I, I will say Gretz was incredible to me uh, uh, as a player. He had me to his house in uh, LA. We golfed together. He, he's been extremely generous to me. Uh, and I'll, I'll always be grateful for that. Um, the other guy who's obviously a, he's one of my favorite people in the game. Um, I know he, he's a lot of uh, people's favorite around here is uh, Tamu Solani. Mm -hmm. My one of my uh, lead-in kind of jokes when I go speak to uh, whether it's a company or a, um, a coaching clinic, wh whatever it is, I, I, I start with a, a I have a video ready, and I explain to everybody that you know not a lot of people know that I'm in the Hall of Fame. And they all sit there and scratch their heads going, how's this, what's he talking about? He's a journeyman guy. There's not a 
chance that he's in the Hall of Fame. Then I run Tamo Solani's uh, record-breaking goal in Winnipeg when he, he broke the rookie scoring mm-hmm. uh, record. And I was on the ice playing with him when he scored that goal. Oh, okay. Now, I don't know what I was doing on the ice. It's probably pretty bad coaching, uh, whoever was coaching us at that point, that I was on the ice uh, with Tamo. But when Tamo unannounced, he scores a goal, he whips the glove super high in the air, and he starts shooting at it. And we were all coming in to congratulate him, and I was kind of first on the scene. And all I see is his glove slowly coming down. And I'm like, do I catch it? Do I let it fall? I kind of got in between. I kind of caught it, and I just kind of let it go. But my video ends as we're all in around Tamo, and then I stop the video right where it says, Eakins, 52, my number. <laughs> and I'm like, that video right there is in the Hall of Fame. Wow. And that's me, and I'm in the Hall of Fame. You made it. Now, I, I wasn't elected, but <laughs> I somehow snuck my way in there. <laughs> and it's amazing how life circles back around. Like, Tamo's energy, that smile on his face, his ability to come in and enjoy hard work. That always really resonated with me because he was a rookie and he just brought it every day. He didn't really uh, try to fall into a mold. He was just himself. And it's always stuck with me uh, as a coach is, you know, try not to put everybody in a box. We, We really encourage guys to be yourself. And now here coaching the Ducks, like I, I, I live probably a mile and a half from Tamo. Oh, uh, wow. You know, I see him in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I see him on the golf course every once in a while. So we, we live very close together now. And it's amazing after all these years, he has not changed one bit. Mm. He always has a smile on his face. <laughs> he's always full of energy. And he's just being him. And uh, he's one of my most favorite guys that I ever played with because he is just such a genuine, authentic, organic person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, there's never an angle. Uh, there's never anything he's doing for show. Um, there's, he's never looking for anything. It's just Tamo putting out his love to everybody. We had him here in the studio and it's going to be a part of our very first episode of from mighty till now. And that was my first time that I got to meet him. And I, completely see exactly what you're talking about in his infectious personality. Yeah. Incredible person. You know, uh, his, his wife's a great lady. I've got to, to meet his kids here over the last little bit, like just an incredible family. You've talked so much about your, your playing career too. And now that you're on the coaching side, how do you think that some of those lessons that you learned as a player to have now resonated on the coaching side too? Well, just the, the, the care part of it. Um, like to, to me, these guys just aren't pieces of meat or, Mm -hmm. okay, they're just here to play hockey and that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, like, uh, I'm a big believer in like, uh, a player is not going to care how much, you know, until he knows how much you're going to care. And so the, the one thing that we really try to do over there as a staff is to, to get our note, to get to know our guys. Mm-hmm. I personally like to try the best I can, time permitting, to to get to know the guy's spouses, their kids, um, if they have them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's such a, a, a huge thing because th- this isn't just about telling people what to do. Like, 
Uh, I think making somebody do something is extremely hard to do. I think inspiring people to do it, um, doing it as a group, doing it as a pair, whether it's me and the, the player or one of the assistant coaches and the player, like there's, I guess, more sustainability for the long run and those kind of relationships, that kind of teaching, that kind of coaching, rather than just do this and mm-hmm. keep your mouth shut. And I had lots of coaches like that growing up. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They were effective too in their own ways. But that's just not me. And it's uh, it's certainly not what I, uh, I believe in coaching. Now, that doesn't mean it's always rainbows and butterflies over there every day either. Mm-hmm. The... Um, you know, we, the, our players have a vision personally of where they want to get to. Uh, we want to respect that and, and we want to coach them to get there. And sometimes that means there's going to be some hard days and there's going to be some adversity, but that doesn't mean we don't love the player. Right. We still love him. And sometimes we're being hard on him because we love him so much. Mm -hmm. And so. Do you share that message with your daughter? too <laughs> yeah you know you know what's amazing my uh you know my, my daughters it's amazing like you're all day you're doing all of these things and it, it's amazing how it's all just intertwined like um i coach my daughters mm-hmm. and i also raise my hockey players like it's their my, my daughters have made me better coaches my team has made me a better father like it, it's mm-hmm. it, it's amazing how it is very very similar to me yeah it's everything in life is intertwined in some ways yeah and it, it's it's uh <laughs> there, there's stuff that comes out of especially my oldest one's mouth now like hey, <laughs> hey uh dad you've got no mental toughness you won't do this <laughs> and i'm like hey like, that's my line about mental toughness don't, don't use it back <laughs> she's on taking there. it against you yeah, so but it's like little things that that pop up with like the kids or or the players. So like you know, one of my daughter is she's playing high school volleyball, and uh, she when the varsity so it's her first year at high school when the varsity team plays, she likes to stay and watch. I'm like, okay, great, mm-hmm. you know, they, she's supporting her team. And uh, this is just a few weeks ago. We're we're on our way back, and she's looking at like some video on her phone, and I. I'm just trying to make conversation. I'm like, Hey, what are you looking at your phone? And she goes, Oh, I was, uh, I was filming the middles on, which is a position of yes. volleyball, uh, the one of the middles, uh, footwork. And because I want to get better at it. Wow. And I just looked at her going, Oh yeah, you're a coach's daughter. You're down there with your <laughs> iPhone during the game, like filming their, their, their feet work. So, you know, I, it, it's, I, I tell you, it's, it's such a blessing to be a father it's a blessing to be a coach. And, you know, in the end, you know, my, my coaching philosophy has always been just to create an environment, uh, that helps inspire others, Mm -hmm. uh, to compete, to be their absolute very best. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think when it comes to parenting, it's almost basically the same thing. I think (laughs) I'd probably word it maybe a little bit differently, but it's the same thing. You're Mm -hmm. all we're trying to do is, I, I just want to help the these players get to somewhere better. Mm-hmm. And 
as a parent, you're just trying to get your kids to somewhere better too. Thank you so much, Dallas, for joining me for the very first time here in the Korea studio on Behind the Bench. Yeah, you got a nice setup in here. <laughs> I'm glad you could sign the glass, too, that's sitting behind you. Join Tamu on that glass. Yeah, I, I wrote right over his name. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> we'll have to show him next time he's in here. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dallas. Thank you. And now it's time for my final quack, where I share my final thoughts before wrapping up this episode. So... It's training camp. Hockey is back at Great Park Ice, and the team is buzzing. We had a great couple days leading up to opening day of training camp where I had the chance to sit down with many of the players, and you'll get to hear all of those interviews throughout the stream as well as here on Light the Lamp. If you listened to the last episode, you heard from Troy Terry. There are plenty more interviews that you will get to hear. But for now, Thank you for tuning in to Light the Lamp and make sure you come back and listen again right here on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.